Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1371 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Sunday here in mid-December, and I'm joined on today's podcast by my friend Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn is very smart about the Atlanta Hawks from a video perspective, X's and O's, as well as analysis overall. And our podcast today touches on a number of different topics. That includes Trey Young's shooting struggles and some stuff about the big men and how the Hawks have been shorthanded in recent days. But at the end of the podcast, stay tuned because the injury report dropped in the middle of this recording, and the Hawks have two guys upgraded from out to questionable stay tuned for that at the very end and then we'll get into the hawks and the magic coming up on monday at the very end of the podcast as well first though i want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by prize picks and first time users got 100 is a deposit match up to 100 dollars with promo code locked on that is prizepicks.com promo code locked on and uh, without further delay today's show will be coming up in a moment but first the intro and then we'll dive in with myself and glenn willis of peace hoops you are locked on hawks your daily atlanta hawks podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am joined now by my friend Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brad. Always good to talk Hawks with you. I appreciate you doing this in uh, the midst of everything else that you're already doing. I saw that you commented on Twitter that someone got mad at you for too much coverage of the game on, uh, on Friday. Yeah, it was just one person. It was all in fun. So I was having fun back on Twitter. So no, was, no, was no, no, real, no actual harm. I understand. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's been an interesting time. We're exactly 30 games in. The Hawks are uh, very symmetrical, 15 and 15. Although nothing about the season feels like it's been symmetrical to this point, mm. uh, a lot, a lot to talk about. Obviously, I, I, I almost want to start with what you saw the last couple games, especially Friday, because you know they, they get a win on Friday they badly needed. Obviously, the vibes were much better now than they were before that. But uh, what's your overall vibe now uh, at the thirty game mark? Obviously, taking into account that they have not been uh, at full strength for a little while here. Yeah, I know it's it's hard to. Uh, I, I, I'm not yet sure how to factor in the absences they've had because it seems like every time you get on twitter you see random teams sitting eight eight guys eight rotation players and stuff so i don't know who was like you know had guys miss the most games and stuff like that i know the way that the hawks roster is built their best seven or eight guys are are critical because they just don't have the depth this year that you'd want them to have they don't have the depth i think they've had the last few years um, and so, you know, they're in a tough stretch right now. Clint is their um, most supported defensive player easily. JC, you know, a 1B in, in my view. And so they, earlier in the season when they were winning games, they were winning mostly with their defense. And so it's hard, I think, to do that without Clint and without um, JC. Hunter, Hunter's been a critical, you know, factor there too, and he's missed a few. And now Trey's kind of having to go back to his, you know, traditional role if he hasn't been at least partly kind of in that all year long, even with DeJounte. So uh, to me, they're in a stretch of games where you like, you just have to get out as many wins as you can try to get your guys back. And I still think when they have um, a fully stocked rotation right now, they're going to win more with defense than offense. Although Bogey changes that calculus a little bit, I think. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm going to try to avoid the rabbit hole that I've been going down for a while. I know we kind of all have about how, the uh, the third unit, let's say, the depth on this team has not been what it's supposed to be. I think we all kind of know that now, unless you're trying to hold out intentionally. Um, and that's, you know, to your point about teams being banged up, that's absolutely true. But this Hawks team is not set up to be banged up, and especially not when 
like the last few games, it's been three of their top four players. That's obviously untenable for a lot of teams. Um, but even, you know, one or two of them. And the game in Memphis was just kind of a comical one. That's one of those games that, like, you just have to cross off. Like, they lost by a million because they had nobody playing. That does happen. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's nuanced because we all wish that they were spending more and had a better uh, foundation on that third unit. But um, that's not reality this year, so I'm going to try to avoid the uh, the jokes and all that stuff on today's at least on, at least on today's show, Glenn, because you know how it is. For sure, I mean, and we've all talked about it. Uh, the tax threshold there is impacting. It, it, it would seem uh, that that's the primary kind of factor in what they do and don't have in, in depth on this roster. And I know that uh, I, I'm critical of that that fact. Um, you know, uh, and, and until someone comes out from the organization. Per, and presumably it makes a case about why it would be terrible to start the clock on repeater tax penalties and things like that. And <laughs> I just see no justification for um, having Trey in year five and not kind of going more all in, you know, I, 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 that's been talked about, but just, just so everybody knows if they don't know, I'm on the side of being critical of that too, but that, that is, <laughs> that is where they are. Yeah. And the one thing I will say, cause I forgot to say it before was uh, somebody asked me, uh, why the Hawks hadn't signed another big man basically without Clint and, and John. And that, that is the answer. Uh, it's a, it's an unfortunate answer, but it's because if they sign someone, uh, we're not quite to the realm where you're allowed to sign 10 day contracts yet. Um, those are not, those are not eligible until later in the season. And right now in order to sign someone that have to pretty much go over the tax line, they're not going to do that. So that's, that's the reason, even though it's not a great reason why they have not. Cause you know, I think you, you've been saying it for even before, even before the season started that the Hawks need another big man, but right now they obviously don't have enough without Clint and John, um, you know, kudos to Frank Kaminsky actually played pretty well on Friday, but like just depth wise, if you get, you get one more injury and you suddenly you're, you're playing the outer hundred center or something like they have, they have no size. Um, so that's, but that is, that is, that is the uh, unsatisfactory answer as to why they're not signed somebody because they, they can't right now. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know, and it's it's like you know me. I try to be optimistic and see you know see a good path where there might be one, even if it doesn't seem like the most likely path. And I mean, I think it's I think the path they're heading down, considering even beyond this year, Jalen needs to play, so you know what you have there, and whether you know that he's a guy you pencil in to be, you know, a rotation, you know for you know kind of going forward especially you know if a jc trade ever materializes that's a huge factor there and aj needs obviously is deserving of play but he he still needs time playing time to continue to kind of grow his game and stabilize his game become more consistent um and things like that so that's a silver lining but i said on twitter earlier this week that if you're a competent organization at all you trust that investment and playing time for those two is going to result in progress and that as you know month over month as the season progresses you're going to get more consistent play more solid play more reliable play um i I don't know that i trust that that's where the organization that the organization is able to kind of manifest things like that yet right now i'm i'm dubious of that but hopefully they'll um you know kind of kind of show more than they've showed recently around uh being able to uh, invest in and get ROI around development goals. Um, famous line: We're not doing development. Um, they are not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, but I mean, hopefully, hopefully, even if the organization is not doing what you'd like to see, if if that's the case, AJ and Jalen still make the most of it. You know, through their own kind of personal effort and abilities and things like that, because that would be could have a uh, could be a big factor in the second half of the season. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I shudder to think what they would be doing right now without without AJ. Like, he's actually been struggling by his uh, high standard from early in the season, but like the fact that he's been playable as a rookie, uh, they would be even in more trouble if they didn't have AJ Griffin playing at the level he's been playing at. So uh, that is all certainly part of the Knicks here. All right, I'm going to take a break here, and then I'm going to ask you about some stuff like like Trey Young's shooting struggles, for instance. You talked about that on Twitter uh, this week. I have some questions to ask about that, but first, they work from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a DFS option this year in the NBA or anything else, check out the award winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it. I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. I can definitely vouch for that. I've been playing on Prize Picks for quite a while now in various sports and really enjoy the grind going through all the numbers at Prize Picks. All you do is pick two to six players, choose whether they actually have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or any other stat that you're looking for. And at Prize Picks, one up to 25 times the money on your entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. They offer numbers on sports across the board that you might enjoy. That includes basketball, football, soccer, and more. And a whole entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that easy and it's that quick. Prize Picks also has safe and fast withdrawals. They're operating in more than 30 states. That includes Georgia, and they are also available in Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to PrizePix.com to sign up and play Daily Fantasy Sports right now. And first time users can have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. Do not forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. Today's show is brought to you by Turo, and Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want wherever you want it from a large community of local hosts. You can browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and coming soon also to Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a favorite road trip. You need all that extra space for extra people. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, a birthday, or a holiday. Or you can find an affordable economy car if you're on a budget and just want to go from point A to point B cheaply and affordably. Test drive that new electric vehicle right now that you had your eye on to see how it fits in your everyday life as well. And many tour hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Term conditions and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. Glenn, I've been talking about Trey's shooting struggles for a while. They're, they're very evident. I mean, the numbers are what they are. He has career worst numbers across the board and field goal percentage and two point percentage, three point percentage, et cetera. Um, and I, I saw you had a thread about this and some numbers that you had pulled as well. Like, and I think maybe I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Like probably the number one question I'm getting these days is, I guess, besides like Nate McMillan stuff, just because that's what happens is uh, what's wrong with Trey shooting. And I wonder what you were able to uncover because, you know, the simple version is that he's, he's not making shots this year, but I wonder if you have thoughts as, as to why and how, and how much that impacts everything else, because he's obviously a huge part of what they do on offense. Yeah. I mean, so if you ask you kind of, how do I evaluate Trey's play on the court? It's like, it, it all looks the same to me, except for the shooting, you know? Um, so there's some small things like he's, he's trying to execute passes. He normally wouldn't in the past. Um, I don't know if that's a spacing thing where passing angles is just hard. It probably is. Uh, some of those forced passes. I mean, they're, they're still, you know, one of the best teams in the league in terms of not turning the ball over, but I've gone back and looked at his sh- shooting, trying to see, um, you know, do I see something different or I don't see, I mean, I don't see anything different. I'm not a shooting coach. So, uh, I mean, I'm a coach, so I, I can often kind of see big changes, I guess, or, or kind of semi, semi-obvious changes. Um, uh, I don't work with NBA players, obviously, but I, I mean, I don't see anything apart, apart from back. They're just not going in, you know? So I don't know what that's about. I don't think anyone's asked him kind of on the record to kind of, uh, maybe give his own thoughts around why uh, they're not going in. I, I presume everyone kind of knows the answer because when he's been in the, his place before, he's always gone back to, I'm not worried about it. 
I practice, you know, I work hard and he certainly is a hard worker. You know, that's, that's, I think a, a track record, everyone kind of, kind of agreed to. Um, but for me, you know, there's two aspects on, on the tweet I put out earlier, where I kind of broke down his shooting performance at different levels and it's the rim and it's a three point shot. And the three point shot is both catch and shoot and it's pull-ups the rim. I could totally see the spacing issue impacting him there. Right. Gallo, you know, in previous seasons offered so much spacing as a big. Um, to me, he was maybe the best shooting big in the league uh, when you consider uh, how hard it is to get to a shot, his high release point, how efficient he was, you know, kind of getting that shot up. And they just don't have anything to replicate this that this year. Having gone back and looked at some of his three-point shooting, I, I can't detect, like, what's different if there is anything different there. Um, and I don't know if, you know – in my mind, I'm like, I remember the first, I don't know, five, six games of the year, he and DeJounte were giving each other a ton of space, not forcing the other into kind of their uh, kind of preferred kind of approach on offense and things like that. And they have a little bit of a different approach there. And I don't know if that just kind of um, prevented him from getting a normal rhythm that he he would get earlier in the year. Now, he, now he often struggles early in the season. It takes a, a week, week and a half or things like that. But here we are, like you said, 30 games in. And, I mean, to me, everything else looks the same. On defense, just like last year, uh, sometimes sometimes more effort is there. Sometimes the effort we're kind of used to is there. In the previous years, we kind of all understood that a part of that is maybe having to conserve his energy for offense because he had such a massive role that was supposed to change this year with DeZante showing up. Um, it, the passing uh, acumen looks the same. Um Everything looks the same except shots not going at the rim from the three point line. I, I I have no theory as to why that's why that's, that's the case. Yeah, I think we're aligned there. You know, no one wants to hear this uh, because it is thirty games, and that's not a, that's not a small sample size. But there, it is very possible that it's just mostly variance over thirty games, and nobody. And that's the same thing. The same thing with, with Collins too. Early in the season, when there's everyone was panicking about Collins, and they still are, I guess, about a shooting. But it's like. A lot of this could, I'm not saying it is, but could just be variants. It's, it's a 30-game sample. Trey, you know, maybe he's banged up. You know, he had the shoulder thing. Maybe that, maybe that's part of it. But like you said, I don't look. At, I don't think it looks different. Um, and th- especially for, for three-point shooting, there's a little bit of noise there, and you need a larger sample size to kind of level it out. I think that um, if I had to bet, he'll make he'll make more than he's made so far. Uh, that's kind of the safe way to do it. But it also does not ensure that he's going to suddenly make 40% to get back to his normal level either. Like. I think last year he took a step forward that we were all encouraged by in terms of his accuracy numbers, because before that you and I and others talked about like, look, Trey may not be a 37% three point shooter because of the, of the shots he takes. He takes some difficult attempts. And last year it was his first time that he shot more than 36% from three. And maybe that was a little bit of an outlier. I don't know if that's true, but I also know that he's not a 28% three point shooter either. So like, where's the true level? It's higher than this. I don't know how high it is. And to jump off what you said before, also, the other, the other area that I've pointed to is his long twos, because last year he shot like Kevin Durant level on long twos, which was probably not sustainable for anybody other than like KD. And this year he's cratered on those shots. Clean, clean the glass has him at 37% on long twos, last year 52%. So like, again, I think that number is higher than 37% long term, but I don't think he's going to shoot 52% on long, on long twos either. And part of that, to your point about Gallo and his rim finishing, I think taking long twos is kind of just part of the offense this year and in under Nate and kind of their philosophy. But 
he's going to have to make more of those. And I, I think that he has a little bit less space there as well, just because of how much, um, how much crampedness there is on this roster. And it'll get, it'll, it'll get better now that bogey's around to kind of space out a little bit more, but you're still playing one and a half or two bigs every night all the time, basically. And uh, that could be part of it as well. So it's not just rim and three, like his, his floater range is, is the same, by the way, all the numbers, I'm sure you yeah. saw that too. Like the, the yeah. frequency, the accuracy, it's all there. It's just, everything else is down rim, long mid range and threes. And like, those are the areas that have more, have more variance. Cause Trey's going to, I guess, always be awesome on floaters. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that seems as automatic. I mean, knock on wood, we don't want a regression in another area that would uh, not be good for Trey or the Hawks, but, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I, I do think teams are defending him a little differently now. Like last year they tried to take away his floater but in a lot of cases. We're not dropping so deep um, and things like that. And, a lot of his uh, mid-rangers came sort of an extended floater range where he's just kind of stopping at like 13, 14 feet or yep. or whatever, taking that shot, which is, a, I mean, if he's feet are under him and there's nobody, nobody really in his face, that's a great, that's a good shot. Agreed. Um, um, and, and this year, I think they're kind of pushing him away, like further from the nail, more towards the outside where you typically get into a little bit uh, a range where there's a stunt or a dig or some sort of help, you know, from another area of the floor. And so I do think teams, as they do with the great offensive players, the league is kind of, in a sense, kind of collectively kind of game planning, watching what the other teams do and building off what teams are using to have success against him. And I think they're still working harder this year to flush him out of the middle. And now the Charlotte game, he got down the middle floaters like at, at will. I mean, it's not not a sample you want to expect from all the rest of the teams in the league is go listen to Steve Clifford talk about his own team's defense. But I, I just, I think, you know, if there's something going on or just around his general rhythm, I think teams are pushing him more out of the middle than they, than they have in, uh, in the past. And um, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, bogey's presence will kind of get him back a little bit more, more space in there and things like that, where they didn't have a shooting threat apart from AJ and AJ still a rookie teams are only going to react so much to him, you know, where uh, teams are going to really kind of prioritize bogey. So, you know, now that bogey's off a of minutes restriction and they can kind of play him and plug him into the rotation as kind of is optimal, optimal, I think, then, you know, we'll, we'll see if that helps him out. But um, that, that's, that's all I really have in terms of ideas around what could kind of get him back on track apart from just regression to the mean. Yeah. And look, I've been saying it since the beginning of the year when we kind of thought it was just a, a cold streak. Uh, I still think that Trey is going to make shots. I, I don't really worry about Trey not making shots, but I also want to be clear that like, I don't want to say how much, like a significant portion of the Hawks offensive struggles this year can be tied to Trey not making shots. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And, and that's not me saying that Trey's bad now. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not a fault thing, but like, when you build around a guy like Trey and he's still putting up numbers. So people haven't make, quite caught on. I don't think nationally even, but like if he shoot, if he was shooting his regular splits, his career, even his career averages. So, which are lower than last year's numbers. If he was shooting his career averages this year, his, the offense would, would be better than it's been. It wouldn't solve every problem by any means, but I think that they are going to always kind of go as he goes on offense. And there are other factors in place. I mean, the same could be said for Collins. It's definitely on a smaller level, but he's another guy where, like, if he shoots anywhere near his regular numbers from three this year, that would be, that'd be very helpful. But Trey is the number one example of that. So it sounds, like, sounds like you agree with me, but I, I feel like Trey just being Trey would just check a lot of boxes for this offense. It wouldn't fix everything, but it'd be very helpful. 
Yeah, uh, yeah agreed. Um, they, they, we've all talked about they're still they still don't have as much shooting as you'd like and, and around Trey, but that that was planned, you know, to swing from kind of more offensive talent around trade and more defensive talent around trade to kind of move the needle in that area and to give them some credit they hit on a pretty good formula you know on that end when when everybody's healthy they're a pretty good defensive team and they perform well and early in the season even when they were you know in that 20 20 to 23 range in offensive rating they were still you know winning enough games to kind of put themselves on a 48 49 50 win kind of pace so you know if they can get those guys back, I think they still play enough defense to kind of keep them in games that they didn't stay in last year and things like that. But if they're going to uh, kind of maximize um, what their results this year, it's going to be, I think, can they get into that 9-10-11 range on defensive rating? And step one is can they get back to league average on defense? Now, I, put a, I did some math on their shot profile yesterday and put out a tweet that showed that they're taking fewer mid-rangers a little bit more three-pointers since December 1, you know, just in that sample. Bogey came back on December 2, probably not much of an accident there for, for part of it. But I also think I also think they're, the one thing they're doing a lot less of is kind of wasting clock, uh, investing too much, trying to find one specific mismatch, getting into isolation, dribbling a lot of the shot clock out, uh, everybody kind of, the other four guys kind of standing around watching Trey or DeJounte do that. And uh, so I, I think they're moving more, they're moving the ball more, they're avoiding that uh, heavy kind of isolation. And I think that's helped them too, you know? Uh, and so they look like, you know, I've said this before in other places, but they look like a team that's trying to push in a more constructive direction offensively, more sharing, more movement, less isolation um, and things like that. And since December one, when I ran the numbers yesterday, they were 16th in offensive rating for this month, you know, and that's with missing some key guys in that stretch, you know, getting bogey back, but losing DeJounte, moving, losing JC, missing DeAndre for a few games. So, you know, they have to have those guys back to perform like a top 12 defense in my mind. But if they can do that and then kind of get those guys back and, and be more uh, intentional on an offense on good habits, good movement, things like that, if they can get to, league average as a first step, that puts them in a pretty good, I think, a, a place to to, to win a, a, at a decent rate. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN, and it protects your privacy and security online. It's a huge part of the appeal of ExpressVPN. If you already knew that, here's something you might not have known. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. If you're on stuff to watch locally, this might change your world, actually. ExpressVPN also allows you to binge shows from other markets, sign into Netflix or somewhere else just like that, fire up the app, and then change the location to that country. Refresh Netflix, and that's all you have to do. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. Just imagine all the libraries you can go through. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is the obvious choice because it is ridiculously fast. There is no buffering and no lag, and you stream in HD with absolutely no problem. ExpressVPN also works on all of your devices. They have phone, media consoles, smart TVs, and much more. You watch what you want to watch on the big screen or on the go. If you want access to hundreds of new shows and much more, go to expressvpn.com slash locked on right now. And if so, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That is expressvpn.com slash locked on. One more time, expressvpn.com slash locked on to learn more. I wanted to ask you at some point, so I'll just do it now, about like what the pivot kind of looks like with bogey back because you know bogey like you just touched on and like i have before too he gives you another shooter and they can play some lineups now where you have real spacing with especially when you play him and aj together 
those guys are dynamic wing shooters that they just don't have otherwise. Um, but also I think that the combination of having bogey back and of course I would say more importantly, having Clinton John out has hurt the defense. I, I, I don't mean to be mean. It's not about being mean to bogey. Bogey's not quite there on defense yet. I think in my observation, I wonder if you agree with me because I feel like, and that's not, that's not a surprise. He's gotten, he's gotten a step slower because of the knee stuff the last, you know, maybe year plus, but defensively he's been a weakness. I think so far, AJ, I think is still probably an overall below average defender. He's been better than a rookie might be, but still not great. Um, and then you even take away DeJounte, who I think maybe is a little bit overrated sometimes defensively, but still is a solid guard defender. And now you're playing, you know, there's Trey, there's Griffin, there's Bogey, and you kind of can see what's going on at the point of attack. Um, but also that helps the offense. So I, I, I want to know, like, what you think long term, let's say, in a world where they have John and Clint back, but now, but now they're playing Bogey more. What's that balance like? Because it's going to lean a little bit more offense than it was earlier in the year because it just, it just kind of has to because you're playing bogey more. And I think right now, bogey is not quite at the tray level of offense first, but he's definitely more of an offensive player at this point. Yeah, I mean, for sure. So it's kind of funny because at the beginning of the season, opposing ball handlers were just going right past Jalen and AJ both, right? And, yep. and those two had to play a lot, right? Uh, in that case, AJ has gotten better at the point of attack. He's better footwork, better positioning better angles uh, more attention to detail in terms of guarding a guy's you know ball side hip or or whatever right and then Jalen was less about that Jalen's a great athlete Jalen was always just kind of sitting back and letting his guy kind of get ahead of steam at him Mm. and he passed him and he's now moving up and kind of pressuring the ball more Um, but I think they're still kind of not super hard to get around but but I appreciate that you can see both of them trying to do something different and trying to adapt technique that will help them at least be uh, a little more solid at the, at the point of attack. Bogey has basically nothing at the point of attack right now. It's not hard, not hard to get past him. Not a surprise. His, uh, his biggest struggles change the direction, you know, so you get him moving one way, it's easy to get around him the other side. Or if you get him like off the ball, kind of having to come into the paint to help say tag a big man rolling to the rim and then it, having changed direction to get back out and close out. He, it takes an eternity. Look, he looks kind of like Gallo did last year, um, you know, in that area. Bogey is an awesome team defender though. Uh, I mean, he's a really good communicator, really good organizer. And see, so if you let him work on the weak side where he's not put in the space and challenged to have to kind of be mobile and change direction, then he, he gives you way more than like AJ does uh, around that. Now AJ is a good team defender for, um, you know, for a rookie, and I, he's exceeded my expectations there. Jalen's getting better. But Bogey is one of the best team defenders that they have, always in the right spot, always communicating, always organizing, and things like that. So for to me, it's like can the opposing team, game by game by game, put him into space, make him do things he's not capable of doing right now? In that case, it's hard to leave him on the court um, if you need more defense in the game flow. Like if there's a stretch of time where like, okay, our defense isn't holding up enough for us right now. Maybe you got to get Bogey off in that case. I think I think to your question earlier, it's easier to leave him on if Clint's there mm-hmm. because Clint cleans up a lot that Anyeka can't do. Anyeka has other talent defensively, but he's not he's not what Clint is. So, you know, it, it I think it's going to be a, kind of a game-to-game situation and almost uh, quarter-to-quarter in some ways by – what do we need? Like, or if you're facing a team that has multiple guys like Garland and Mitchell with Cleveland, right? Hard, probably harder to leave Bogey out there. You know, other games where you're playing a team that's more kind of defensive oriented, then 
maybe you can kind of run with with bogey more. But I mean, you, you hope to get as much of bogey as you can because it seems like that's the ideal option to unlock some of uh, Trey's um, what Trey's not been able to kind of kind of get to this year. But how do you balance playing time between Dejounte when he's back? Obviously, you know we know what his role is, but then you got AJ and Bogey. Real benefit to having both of them on at the same time, or you know, or a different direction there. It'll be interesting to see. But to, to you know, if the other team's not putting him into defensive spots that make where where he's having to do things he can't do, if they're not if the opposing team isn't doing that, in my mind, give Bogey thirty minutes. Oh yeah. Know? If the other team's putting him in the space constantly, then I, it's going to be harder to tolerate that. That's my kind of view. Yeah, I'm with you. And in regular season. Like it, it does happen, but de- teams generally are not willing or able or however you want to say that to attack a guy as frequently and as intentionally like that. Um, obviously, we've seen it with Trey. Trey is a, maybe the number one example in the whole league of someone who gets targeted more when teams are having the, the ability to game plan around that. Uh, we saw it in the playoffs, et cetera. Um, you know, and then the thing is, like, while Trey and Bogey has been an awesome pairing historically, those guys play very well together on offense. Right now, the two of them on defense might be untenable sometimes, and it's just it, it is what it is. In fact, there was a very smart question I got from a good Hawks fan, uh, Grant Shirley, on Twitter was like asking me like, "What's the closing lineup going to be when everybody's healthy now that Bogey's back?" And my answer was a cop out, but it was basically, "What's the matchup?" Because there are certain matchups where you got to have Bogey out there. There are certain matchups where you got to have Hunter out there to guard Kevin Durant or guard whoever big forward that he's the only guy that can guard that guy. There are certain matchups when you when you've got when you when you you're gonna have to have John out there for defense, like because there's maybe you want to go small with Hunter at the four, but in certain matchups that you can't really do that. I think it pretty much is always going to be Trey Dejounte, and if Clint's got it going, Clint. But other than that, like the other two spots are very open between the three of them. Maybe even AJ's got it going one night, and you and you just roll with AJ. Um, so long with a way to say that, like. Do you agree that it's basically just matchup? I think you, that's kind of what you were getting to there, but they don't really have a clear best five, I don't think, in my mind right now. Yeah, I also I think it's matchup plus scoring situation, right? Oh, so yeah. if Always. you're trying to play from behind, <laughs> if you're trying to play from behind, you can put AJ Bogey and DeAndre all on the court. Those are their three best four three best off ball shooters, you know. Um we said kinda, it too, like Clint, Clint, you said it before, Clint. I mean, uh, sorry, Nate loves to go. To the to the all offense lineup. When, when they're down twelve, he's gonna he's he's gonna go with you know Gallo at center used to be the move that he would go to every once in a while. Like now with now it's maybe JC at center, but he's gonna be much more willing to go with that like super small bogey AJ whatever it is lineup when they're down by ten points. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and I mean, and with JC's healthy, you can go JC Hunter, you know, and AJ and Bogey kind of kind of go from there. Now that that presumes that I guess either Trey Dejounte's not on, but depending on the stretches for like when Dejounte's resting, you can get that lineup on if you need to, or when Trey's resting in the early fourth quarter, you can get that lineup on kind of if you need to, or just kind of rotate those those uh, those guys. But you can you know punch more shooting into lineups now when you're trailing from behind, and then if you're you know if you got an eight point lead halfway through the fourth quarter, you want to kind of close it out, you can go Clint. JC Hunter, and then however you want to kind of go from there, depending upon you know whether Trey's back from his rest or not. So they have some optionality they didn't have before. It once they get everyone back, and hopefully that'll be something that helps them, um, you know, not have to kind of like, oh, how do I still three minutes for Culver here? How do I, you know, uh, Trent Forrest has been good, but you know yeah. he's not a guy you want to close offensively. 
unless other teams giving you the paint constantly like the Hornets were on Friday, on Friday night, well, you know? So. The, thing with, the thing with Forrest, too, like when they have DeJounte, there is less of an inherent need for Forrest or Aaron Holiday, whichever one of those guys you prefer on yeah. that night. Like they, they started they started Forrest in that Charlotte game, and I, I thought it was very obvious why. It was like he's going to have to guard LaMelo Ball because nobody else can. And that would have been DeJounte normally. Like they would have put DeJounte on LaMelo and that would, that would have been the matchup. Right. But when your options are Trey, AJ, or Bogey, like those guys, none of those guys can guard LaMelo Ball, like with any realism at this point in time. So like you have to play Trent Forrest. You have to play J- uh, Aaron Holiday. So DeJounte checks a lot of boxes there too. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to me. Like the number of guys that they tr- like full on trust when everybody's back maybe is up to seven or eight which is uh, higher than it is right now, I think. Nate, Nate's playing guys now that he just kind of has to play, and that's that's part of the deal of an NBA season. But uh, in a perfect world, they do at least have, you know, the, the five starters plus whichever bench guy, uh, probably Bogey, as the sixth, and then you've got Onyeka as seven. And that's, that's, your, that's your clear and un, uh, that's your clear seven, and I think they, they, seem to, they seem to trust AJ, which gets you to eight. Jalen maybe as the ninth guy you would think, but right. something like yeah. that. It's like a that it's a, it's not a bad thing to have a tight eight that you like, especially if they can get away with play, playing hundred up at four sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of when it comes to like Forrest and Aaron Holiday, like Aaron Holiday is a better player than Forrest is. Like yeah. like in terms of factoring kind of all aspects of play, he's a better he shooter. Shoot. Obviously, he can, he right? can shoot. He can shoot. Say, yeah. But 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 because of his size, there are defensive matchups he just can't take that Forrest can. And, yeah. and, and without DeJounte, I think you have to roll Forrest in there, you know, in, in a lot of cases with their, you know, if you're going up, if you need someone to go, um, you know, potentially get switched on to like a, a Jimmy Butler, you know, if the Heat are playing Jimmy at the two, like they do in some lineups, you know, in cases versus like, I mean, I, I trust Aaron like to guard like a Steph Curry. You just need a guy who will chase over screens, try to stay attached and things like that, you know. And so, you know, I from that vantage point, I know Hawks, a lot of Hawks fans, at least the most vocal Hawks fans in some cases are just bang on Nate all the time. But I, I think the way he's kind of mixed and matched Forrest and Aaron, especially during the stretch where DeJounte's been out, has been has been good. Has been has been has been really good. Um, and it makes sense. And in that sense, he's not just playing the veteran guy. You know, because that's kind of kind of Nate's you know uh, pattern and things like that. And the same is true with Justin. Justin's not playing in a lot of cases, and he's throwing Jalen out there. And so I, I I think that that's um, I think that makes sense in the in the big picture. I totally agree. Yeah, Nate's not like he's not, he's not just defaulting to the veterans. Like we've seen Justin fall out of the rotation, and rightly so. Like I think that he's been worse than I thought he was going to be on the whole this year. Justin Holiday. Part of that's that he's just not making shots, and he's got to make shots, or he's not going to be worth playing a whole lot of but like they've gone they've had to kind of scrap it together the culver experiment worked for a little bit and then it stopped working and he stopped playing and that's the way it's supposed to work like he gave him good minutes for a couple games then teams are like by the way he can't shoot we're not going to guard you anymore and then he becomes a lot harder to play in those instances even frank they got a lot of frank on friday you know i I know you and i both joked about like charlotte allowing that to happen in the second half by just kind of not attacking anymore but he played well i mean we joked about the uh, the championship bell or whatever it is, the defensive uh, the defensive award that he got. That's kind of that was kind of silly, but look, he gave him good minutes on that night. So shouts to Frank for that. Even if it's one night, that was the first time all year I was like, you know what, Frank gave them gave them a, a pretty good chunk of stuff on this night, and uh, yeah. you have to have those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to Justin too, and then on Frank, like 
sometimes it just happens to a guy who's 34 now too you know some things yeah. start to dis- start, things start to disappear you know that's the that's the way it goes you know um and then like with frank like i mean his passing was we know he could pass the ball but i mean his passing was really good he was good at all like, he was he was like actually really good, good offense in that game right. yeah yeah for sure and and i know hawksman is like oh he's terrible on defense and yet he right now he is terrible <laughs> on defense as he continues to come back from that surgery can, he'll get it's not like he's going to get twice as he'll get maybe 20% better you know and be able to hold up a little bit more, you know, and things like that. And it's kind of, you know, you watch the play against Charlotte, and, and and mind you, I don't have to say it myself, is their coach will say they're a terrible defensive team right now. Um, but it's like, you know, when they're down 12 points, 15 points in the fourth quarter, might Frank start rolling out once he's, you know, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if, if they're down, especially if they're down Clint or Anyeka, but in some cases, you know, it's like, yeah. I guess it's something you could try if you just have to pack more shooting out there, you know, get to, to get a shooter at the five. Um, hopefully you got JC at the four to clean up some things that Frank can't clean up, you know, right. but like that's, that's the thing is like JC's return opens up true of all guys when they're coming back, kind of opens the door for different combinations that you can, that you can try. I, I think that should be a last, last, last resort. <laughs> if that's something they're even going to kind of try. But it's something like, you know, Clint's never gave you any shooting, you know. So, and Anyeka's 18-footers coming along, but I, I still don't want it. I still don't want that for a shot I have to have to stay in the game, you know. So, it, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how, how the rotation uh, looks as they kind of manage guys back. It's, presumably, they're not going to all start playing in at the same time, but it'll be kind of one by one by one. But I'm looking forward to kind of seeing how uh, – how that gets uh, shaken out when, when hopefully all guys are back soon. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not breaking any ground here, but obviously the Hawks just personnel wise don't have a ton of resistance when Clint and John are both out that that is very obvious, but at the same time, the numbers, the numbers kind of lay it out. Like they're in the 10th percentile defensive rebounding when those guys are off the floor at the same time, that is uh, on tape. When you watch it, they give up a lot of shots at the rim teams, make the shots at the rim when those guys are off the floor. Um, And I I know that uh, it's, both obvious, but Onyeka, I don't think it's having a great season. I think you might might get over your skis a little bit talking about like him. I've seen people like saying he's like struggling. I don't know if I go that far, but he's not had like the next step that people thought he might take this year. That's probably fair to say. And I wonder like even, you know, you could have argued that Friday was like a showcase for him and it really wasn't like he played okay, but Frank was the one that basically closed the game, which is kind of funny to see. But let's just assume for a second that uh, I'm, by the way, this might not be, True. I think John might play Monday. We'll see. Uh, we're recording this before the injury report comes out. So we're all guessing at, at least at this moment in time when you and I are talking. But let's say just for our purposes, they don't have John or Clint again on Monday against Orlando. Like, how? What's the best way to navigate that? I think it's just like, obviously, you have to have one of one of Onyeka or Frank on the court at all times. Like, I've kind of been asking for Jalen at, at the five, but Orlando's a tough matchup for that. Orlando's huge, so what would you do on Monday? Let's just assume for a second that both those guys are out. Like, would, would you change anything or is it just kind of like cross your fingers and hope? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's tough. I, I, I've been wanting to see Jalen at the five and I would say in lower leverage kind of minutes, you know, just and things like that. Because yeah. So, and, and I think, you know, when the other team has mostly their sec- second unit on, I think that's generally kind of a, a fairly safe time to try to get three or four minutes of that. Maybe this matchup is, is not the best, um, or Orlando, um, I, you know, 
um, they're such a they're such a, they're so such a big you know team you know, and and it kind of starts with how do you defend you know Ben Caro you know because like most teams are putting their center on him and the Hawks uh, that's where you know before Clint without the injury Clint was on him almost every kind of minute he was out there then once you have that it's like who takes you know Mo Wagner who takes you know Franz Wagner and how do you kind of go from there and and um you know Markel's a big point guard you know so I mean it's a it's a tough way to kind of kind of match up they try to get by with some zone uh in the last game um and I think that was more about foul trouble and trying to you know protect a short rotation around foul issues more than anything else and to Orlando's credit they came out and, I mean you can target a guy in his zone in a two three zone they went straight at Trey's area <laughs> like in the third quarter is their big adjustment it's how they got some separation um and things like that but I you know I I think you have to give Anyeka a chance to kind of do the starter's job you know while Clint is out and the thing for me is that like the Hawks players need to understand when Clint is on the floor, you can trust him to rebound and you can look to get out and run because he's such, he's one of the best five or six rebounders in the whole league in my view. Right. Yep. In that class. When Yenyek is out there, you can't do that. You've got to help him rebound. Like I posted a clip from the Charlotte game where Trey just let his man walk straight into the paint. It was LaMelo didn't put anybody on him. Didn't even got to get in his way and make him take an indirect route to the rebound and then Yekka got had to compete with Lamelo for the rebound, and and they kind of came a 50-50 ball, and the Hornets got the rebound. And so in my mind, it's like Anyeka is never going to be the rebounder Clint is, never, ever. It's just, it's yeah. not going to happen. But rebounding, as in like almost every phase of basketball, is a team function. And like even Trey, even everyone else on the court, when Anyeka is saying like, okay, we all have to help rebound, we get other good stuff from Anyeka, but just like any player. They have strengths and weaknesses, and you have to kind of account for that. Just like when Trey is on, Clint has to stay closer to the rim. Clint has to stay more centered on defense to kind of clean up when Trey's not able to contain his guy, or when Trey gets targeted, Clint has to make sure he's in the space to kind of help, you know, uh, provide some support in the paint. Just similarly, when Yek is on, everybody's got to help rebound. So this, in Orlando, to me, Step one is Anyaki, you're getting the starters role. We're gonna we're gonna have you defend Ben Caro. We're gonna kind of roll from there. Everybody else, help rebound when Anyaki's on. He's not Clint as a rebounder. He's he's at great mobility. I love his ball handling and passing uh potential that he has. I'd like to see them run a little bit more offense through them, but none of that matters if they can't rebound, <laughs> you know, when he's on the court. And so he just needs more help than Clint does, and that's not um really a criticism is, you know, he's not Clint. Clint's a dominant rebounder. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like it maybe gets framed as a, as a negative. And I guess maybe it is a little bit of Onyeka. Like sure. bo- both of us are, at least I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. We're both on the, on the train of, he is a center. And like, there's a yeah. whole conversation that we don't have to have like about, you know, he's, he's really just a four. No, he's, he's a center. He just happens to be a, a center that has different skills. Like right. if you've been a, if you know, if you've been a Hawks fan for a long time, the parallel that's easy to draw would be the teams that had Al Horford at center. And he's not Al Horford yet. Al Horford was a multi-time all-star, maybe like fringe hall of famer. Like it's a different category, but they're similar size. Al's a little bit bigger, but by the way, those teams with, with Al and Paul were terrible on the glass. That was their biggest weakness on defense. They, they couldn't rebound, but right. they were so good at everything else that didn't matter. Uh, at least it didn't matter until they played Cleveland in the playoffs. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, like, they, that, that, those teams smoked you on offense. 
they were awesome in transition defense. They still made you work for shots. Of course. Right? So that that was what they did. They still struggled to rebound the basketball. Right. You, you can have one weakness defensively. And with a, with Onyeka at the five, it probably is going to be the glass his whole career. I think I think I think he'll get better uh, as he gets older and stronger and wiser and all those things. But like he's probably never going to even be an above average rebounder for a center. And that's okay. Yeah. But you got to be better at everything else when you do that. And the Hawks are not like built that way. The Hawks are built, honestly around Clint defensively. And that's the way right. they should do it. Clint's really good. And when he's there, it works. But Clint and Yeka are very different players. Like you wouldn't draw up in a lab, those guys being on the same team, because you have to kind of, have, you kind of have to have a different scheme and a different approach with those guys playing together. Right. Like uh, this, is a, this is a football example, but people have been arguing about this, like your quarterback versus your backup quarterback. And like, if your quarterback gets hurt, do you want to have a similar guy as your backup quarterback? Like the Ravens have Tyler Huntley now backing up Lamar, which makes sense in some ways because you wouldn't want to have a mobile guy that's like a runner as your, as your starter and then have this like statuesque backup quarterback that can't run. It's kind of the same thing. You wouldn't want to have necessarily those guys, even though I've said before, Onyek is like the best backup center in the league. He's just different than Clint. It's just a, it's a different team entirely when Clint's not there. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. He can get up to the level of screen. He can hedge he can blitz he can double you know he can do a lot of stuff now clint uh has been good in those areas this year too but you still kind of punt on some value when you get him away from the rim away from the paint and then you kind of create re- your own rebounding issues when you do that too much you know and yet can, can give you more but I, I will continue to say like fox fans that look at the yucca and be like darn it rebound better it's like <laughs> no, no 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 teammates help him like help you know help each other in areas where you need where where your your teammates need help. He needs help in that area. Yeah, he he can like he can be on the weak side corner messed up with Robert Williams if they're playing the Celtics and get all the way to the rim like quickly. He can cover ground. He can change direction. He can recover. He's awesome at that. So appreciate like what he brings there, and he's great in their elbow series that they run. He's great in delay action when they run. What times they run that you know, and stuff like that. So appreciate that. Similarly, help him rebound. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it has to happen. It is going to have to happen. Um, as you and I are talking on Sunday, uh, Orlando's playing in Boston, so I don't have the result of that game just yet, but it's a back-to-back for them. That's a challenging spot for the Magic. They've been playing great, though. So they have, they have to go from Boston to Atlanta. That's a long trip on a back-to-back. The Hawks will be home and well-rested for two days. But uh, as we saw when they played the Magic earlier this week, when the Magic scored 50 points in the first quarter, not an easy matchup, at least not the one that you might have thought coming into the season. Um, anything you're looking for in that one besides what we already talked about? Because, you know, they're challenging in some ways. They're also beatable in some ways. The Hawks did beat them down in Orlando a couple weeks ago. And then this week it was uh, the opposite of that. Yeah, I, I I mean, they they were decent at generating points at the rim against Orlando. I want to say maybe they got 52 on Wednesday. That was the, that was the Wednesday game. My brain's kind of messed up. It's up like uh, that. Yeah, so um, – <laughs> And, and but in my mind, like you know, I'm not trying to make you mad, Brad, but Mo Wagner not an awesome defensive center, right? Uh, tr- no, uh, trust me, I've seen Mo more than looking at <laughs> Mo. I would I would agree with you 100. Yeah, um, a great teammate, great team guy, you know, skilled depth, offense, you know. skilled offensive player, yeah. but yes, absolutely. Uh, Mo Bamba, when he's interested in defense, he's solid. When he's, he's not interested tall. in defense, then <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and you kind of go from there, but like. Like, you've got to attack Bull Bull. Like, you've got to put him in pick and roll, in my yep. mind, constantly. you got to make him play defense. He's In my mind, he's – you know, I'm celebrating the progress he's making as a player. I'm rooting for him. But he's still one of the worst 10 defenders in the league. Like, 
easily in, in my in my view. And then Bancaro, like you know, you got to make him defend too. And so I thought you know you know that they didn't really kind of get after those defenders you know you know too much um, in that in that game. Uh, part of that is I think you give up fifty in the first quarter, you're going to be shell shocked. And then when you're not making shots, it's harder to kind of get back and set your defense. And then it becomes kind of a cyclical thing, possession to possession to possession. But it's, I think they have to go in and, I mean, I, I would be like, the goal should be producing 70 points at the rim. <laughs> you know, that they, I mean, that that's, it's sort of like going against Charlotte, you know, with, you know, the guys that they present with, you know, you know, Plumlee and, and, and Nick Richards is like, like, you know, pretty good offensive guy at this point in time. He doesn't, he's not a great rim protector and stuff, but in my mind, you know, even if they're without Clint, even if they're without John, there are ways to go put pressure on the rim constantly and and really attack that weakness Orlando has. So that's what I'm looking for. And then I, I you know I still want to make Orlando a jump shooting team. You know on the other end of the court, try to keep the ball out of the paint. Markel's great at getting into the paint. You know you know Franz is really good at attacking seams, and you just got to do a better job of keeping them out of the paint. So if you could be plus 15 in the game on at the rim. Uh, then I think you have a great chance to win the game. And the way you do that is attack their big men, you know, via pick and roll. Yeah, I just pulled the box score from the first matchup, the one uh, at, at the end of, of November when I was actually there for that game. And the Hawks had um, 62 points in the paint in that game. They shot like 65% from two in that game. And granted, that that was a game where they had they had everybody available for a while. That was uh, also the same game that DeAndre and John both got hurt in. Um, so they didn't have anybody in the second half. It was Jared Culver in the second half playing the four, kind of out of nowhere. He hadn't played all season basically until that until that game. But it basically, just lays out what you what you said. They attacked the rim in that game effectively. I remember making a note on I think on, on the show even about how it was like it was like a layup line at times in that game. Orlando just didn't have anything at the rim um, defensively, and the Hawks got away from that in the most recent matchup this week. So I, I agree with you across the board. Um, you know. They do have bogey now, which helps on offense. Uh, again, maybe maybe we'll get an update in the uh, in the near future, and I'll have that probably at the either at the end of the show or the beginning of the show if we have an injury update. But uh, even if, if if you assume Hawks are down three guys, they're playing at home, rest advantage, um, tired team probably in Orlando, and I think that this is a very winnable game. It's not going to be the same like you know if the Hawks were full strength, they might be a eight point favorite, ten point favorite in this game. They're not going to be that no matter what happens uh, in this one. But we'll see if they can. Uh, hold serve and build on this one because they are back to 500 as we speak, which is not the worst place to be. It's crazy. After all the vibes, bring it full circle about our vibe check at the beginning of the podcast. The, uh, the Hawks are, as we speak tied for the eight seed and they are exactly three games out of being the four seed. And it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> I gotta be honest. with no. you. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. And a lot of that comes back to, Things that happened like a couple of weeks ago. We don't have to rehash all of that. But I mean, I think fans do have questions like, where is the team mentally? Where is the team spirit? Where is the chemistry? Those are all fair questions. I don't have any answers at all. Um, you know, I can kind of observe body language on the court during the game and things like that and and stuff. And that Orlando game, it looked like a team that just wasn't ready to play basketball that night. You know, yeah. NBA schedules a grind. I mean, every team gets like even the best team gets like two or three of those across the whole season, you know, but the Hawks are at a point where they, without so many key guys, they just got to go out and fight for every possible when they can get until they get those guys back. You know, Orlando's been playing well and you know, Jamal Mosley's a, he's a good coach in my, in my view, like he, he gets, he really coaches hard gets a lot of those guys and things like that. Um, I, I would bet if I bet on NBA games, I would bet Boston smokes him today. Um, they win Orlando got the other night, 
Boston was coming off of a really grueling uh, West Coast road, road trip. And this matters in the way every game on that road trip almost was on like primetime, you know, television, you know, and stuff. And so they put a lot of effort into that. So they were just, I mean, if you watched the end of that game, and I watched like two and a half, the last two and a half quarters of that game, uh, Boston was absolutely exhausted. But I feel like they're going to want to kind of come back and make a point <laughs> kind of in this game. As much in the way the Hawks should want to after giving up a 50-burger in the first quarter last time, the Hawks should have an appetite to come out and kind of send the message with, with this game that they play on Monday. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to see how that one all goes at this point. <laughs> oh, by the way, Glenn, in fact, we just got the injury report. Do you want to know oh. what's on it? Yeah, absolutely. Live on the podcast, two of the three guys have been upgraded to questionable. John and DeJounte are questionable for Monday's game. So – Perhaps the Hawks will have at least one of those guys back. We'll see. Clint's still out. That was expected. But, uh, yeah, there's a world in which the, the Hawks are, like, almost full strength on Monday. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, yeah, it, it'd be great. Um, it, it just feels like John would play ahead of DeJounte. But, I mean, DeJounte's looked worse. You know, it happened. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, John does a whole lot more running and jumping <laughs> than DeJounte <laughs> does. So that probably that probably kind of factors in too. And I guess Questel puts them both at roughly 50-50 to play. But it's, it's supposed to. You never know. Uh, you know, in the Hawks, uh, I will be surprised if Nate reveals a single thing before the 45-minute mark for yeah. the game on Monday. He will probably tell us all that they're getting time decisions before the game. So hold your breath. But uh, no matter what, yeah. that's a good step forward for both those guys. Even, even if neither one of them play on Monday, the, the fact that they were able to list them as questionable is a good sign. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah, when they ask about injuries, I imagine there's someone who walks around and pulls a string on his back. Well, it's it's so funny because <laughs> uh, there have been multiple times this season where um, he will have answered the question about one player and not the rest, and I will just do the, the the reporter job at the end of the press conference and ask about the other guys, and he will he will look at me like I am the craziest person in the world, and then <laughs> and, and then he says, "Game time decision." Like I, I don't think Nate loves when I ask him things like that, which is fine. I get it, but it's like. It's just a, it's just a layup for you, Nate. Just give me give me the answer. But I, I'm I'm starting to ask the question because every once in a while he'll rule somebody out. He never rules anybody in. I'll say that if you're questionable, Nate's not going to say that you're playing at the pregame. But every once in a while he'll rule a guy out. So you got you yeah. got. I liked how LP did that for for a while. He was like, "I'm not on the medical staff. I don't have any information." <laughs> like you're the head coach. <laughs> yes, 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 you do, Lloyd. You have information. You just don't want to tell us. That's okay. Yeah. All right, Glenn, this has been a, a long conversation. I appreciate all the time you've given me. I'm going to get you out of here before the hour mark. But uh, anything to plug? I know you have, you and Kevin have been podcasting. You've been tweeting and things. So what's going on in Glenn World? Yeah, my, my Twitter handle is – I'm not going to get banned if I put my Twitter handle out I there. think you're allowed to. You, you just can't put – you just can't say it on uh, on Twitter apparently after the rule changed. Okay, you can't, yeah. uh, you can't, I had to, I had to change, one, one of my links was, it was a link tree. Which is apparently not allowed anymore on Twitter, so I had to like I had to alter that on my on my profile. I don't so I'm, I don't get banned from Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, make it a joke there, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think it's okay to the public. Yeah, I mean a, a lot of that's where my content is kind of going these days. Um, yeah, you know, when the Hawks go on the West Coast road trip, I'll be doing more coverage of Peachtree Hoops because I live on the West Coast. So I'm taking a little bit more kind of uh, responsibly there, so look look for that. Um, and then Kevin and I on, you know, eight tail and 29, you know, two episodes a week. Uh, uh, sometimes we'll get to three if there's news and things like that, but try to kind of, kind of break things uh, down there. Otherwise, you know, follow all the work at Peace for Hubes. Like, I mean, Wes and Zach are doing great work over there um, as well as a, you know, a slew of other people there, but, you know, Zach and Wes are kind of taking leadership over there right now and, and, uh, and just, you know, doing great work and, you know, 
So, you know, look those guys up. Zach is back with a presence on Twitter, so look him up. Yeah. Wes, blo- at Bloghawk, you know, if you're not following him for some reason, go follow him and then check out the work uh, Kevin and I do a couple times a week. Uh, some like to call it the, the Boomer Hawks podcast. That's uh, true. Uh, um, and we'll, well, I'll half embrace that in fun at this point in time. But that, that's where you can find my stuff. Yeah, check out all of Glenn's work. I had Wes on the show recently. Zach's been on the show as well. Peachtree Groups is a great place to read about the Hawks and uh, – Follow Glenn for sure, and even listen to even listen to Kevin every once in a while if you want to. I recommend that. I I guess even though he's my uh, my in-game partner, uh, Statler Waldorf up there at State Farm Arena. So, all right, everybody, thank you for listening to the podcast. Check out Glenn's work. Subscribe to this show, and we'll see you all next time.